And I just want you to follow with me if you back up a page to Matthew, uh, really just Matthew chapter 8. Let's start there. We're going to look at two chapters worth of headings. Some of you have King James, some of you have NIV, some of you have New American Standard translations. It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to read the NIV headings of each section, and we're going to get a feel for what's going on in Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9. Starting with Matthew chapter 8, Jesus heals a man with what? Leprosy. Okay, Jesus has just healed a man with leprosy. Then we move down and we read about the faith of the centurion. And what happened there is, is, is a gentleman who had a servant that was paralyzed, but he believed that just as he had authority, as a soldier has authority, an officer has authority over soldiers, Jesus had authority over all. And he believed that, and that servant was healed. So we see that. Then in the NIV, the next heading is Jesus heals many. Boy, you can't escape that one. Jesus heals many. Move down a couple. Jesus calms a storm. And that could have been any storm. It could be a physical storm. It could be uh, arguments between people. Who knows? Jesus then restores two demon-possessed men. Then Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. Then he calls Matthew. To follow him. Then he gets questioned by the Pharisees about fasting. Then he raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. Then he heals the blind and the mute. And this was all right after lunch. My Savior is not a busy guy. He's about doing the Lord's will and work. But I'm going to tell you what. How many say I was a lot of ministry going on? In a short time. How many say that? A lot of ministry going on in a short time. Now, how many people know that there's a whole lot more ministry that needs to happen in the world? Just check with your neighbor. Make sure they know that the world's really big. And there's a lot of people that do not know the Lord Jesus as Savior. Amen? So what happens is now, I want you to land in here with me, verse 35, okay, of chapter 9. Here we go. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the what? The crowds. Remember, this is just the crowds that were surrounding him at that moment. When he saw the crowds, he had what? compassion on them. He had a love for them. He had a desire to see them set free. He had a desire to see them saved. He had a desire to see them healed. He had compassion on them because they were what? Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They had religious folks telling them they need to do this, do this, do this, do this, and do that. And ex the expectation was you better do that or God's going to be mad at you. And then the Pharisees themselves really didn't do it themselves, what, what, what they had expected everybody else to do. And, and then they would go off and try to do their own thing. These people were just wandering around going, what in the world? And here comes a loving, compassionate Savior, Jesus and he looks on them and he says, oh, look at these people. They're harassed. They're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. I think this was one of those pivotal moments, not in Jesus' mind, but just in his ministry, where he began declaring, there is a big work here. I'm the head of that big work, but it's going to require many in this big work. It's going to require me as the head 
and the rest of those that I call as the body, as the hands, as the feet, as the heart, as the mouthpiece. It is going to require many. Is there anyone in our meeting house here today, in our gathering here today, that has been called by Jesus to be a part of that body? Well, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a part of that what? That body. Now, what we find interesting, we're going to come back to Matthew 9 in just a moment, but what we find interesting is in Matthew chapter 5, we are told that we are particular somethings in this world. And so, real quick, just backtrack to Matthew, I'm sorry, yeah, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to just look at 13 through 16. Real quick, you know these verses, but I want to just look on them. Jesus made a declaration regarding those in Christ Jesus. You ready for this? He said, you are the what? Salt of the earth. Well, let's think about salt. What is it about salt? Salt flavors. Salt seasons. Salt purifies. Salt also preserves, does it not? Salt is also used at times uh, throughout Scripture as symbolic, symbolic of wisdom, Okay? And he's saying, hey, if you are in me, then I have an expectation for you. That, that everything you do and in every place you are, you are to be flavoring society. You are to be flavoring the economy. You are to be flavoring the politics. You are to be flavoring the gathering place. You are to be flavoring your workplace. You are to be flavoring your school. You ought to be flavoring your home. With who? With Jesus. Who's with me right now? Come on, shake the rainy day off. Quick, real quick. I need to know you're with me. That salt also, he says, it also, when you bring that salt into place, it purifies right? Because who is it that makes us, washes us whiter than snow? The blood of Jesus that He shed for us. Amen? And then along comes this, when we are called to preserve. We're called to come into society, come into the culture, come into wherever, and we are called to preserve, bring preservation. Preserve what? Preserve what God's original intent was for this world. And that was to be His people, His body, and begin pointing people to the truth in that. Amen? So we're called to be bringing that in. And here's the thing, folks, and I want you to hear me real quick. Look right here. We are called to be what, according to the Scripture? Everybody say salt. Right? I mean, we even have that in our daily phrase. You refer to somebody as salt of the earth. That means they're what? Good people integrity, truthful, honest, right? Salt of the earth people, down, down to earth, okay? So he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Well, has anybody ever experienced salt losing its saltiness? Anywhere you put salt, you're going to what? I love, my, my kids have determined now they never want to go to the ocean again. They love the beach. They hate the ocean. And we spoiled them because they, they, like, they like the Great Lakes where we go up, uh, especially Lake Ontario, because that's fresh water, right? 
And Silas is like, I don't mind it because I run in there and it splashes me in the face. It's all fun. Well, we were down in the Atlantic a couple months ago, and he said, and I ran into the ocean and it hit me in the face and it hurt, Daddy. It hurt. <laughs> Tasted awful and it hurt my eyes. Salt has an influence, does it not? But when it comes to us being called the salt, do you know that the only thing that can remove our saltiness is when we allow everything else to overcrowd what we are? In other words, allowing culture to dictate who we are. Where we are no longer influenced, or being the influence, we are being what? Influenced. And eventually we come to a point where we are no longer salty. And here's the, here's the crazy part right here. It says, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like the idea of deciding to let culture declare uh, who I am and what I'm to do and, and, and then get trampled underfoot. But isn't that what the world does? They tell you who you are, what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to dress like, how you're supposed to act, who's, who you're supposed to do all these things, and then they beat you down. Is there any life in culture? I'm just being honest, in, in, in today's culture. No. There is only life found in Jesus. And He says, you are the salt. I've called you to be that salt, and I've called you to go out and start influencing. Stop being influenced. Amen? So not only are you called salt then, you're also called what? The light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus has already given you some encouragement there. He says, look, if you got me in you, you're light, and that can't be hidden. You don't have to stand up on a pulpit 50 feet in the air with a megaphone declaring. You just let my light come shining out of you. It's not going to be hidden. It's not, it's not going to be hidden. And what is that light? The light of truth in the midst of darkness. I've shared this before, but it's the greatest example. How many have gone to a cave before? And how many inevitably are in one of those situations where the, the, the cave guide says, okay, we're now going to turn the lights out, right? We're now going to turn the lights out just to show you just how dark dark can be. And everybody gears up, and I see people hold on to the wall like they're going to stumble. I promise you, nothing's going to come at you in the darkness, but they hold on to the wall. They're getting ready. And I remember we took the, the kids one time when they were much younger, and we're preparing them. Guys, it's going to be really dark. You're not going to be able to see anything, but you'll feel us, but you're not going to be able to see anything. Well, those lights go out. But I remember one time I was standing there and thinking, you know, if I, if I lit one match, just one single match, as heavy and oppressive as that darkness would be, what would happen to that darkness? Gone. You don't even have to stand on a hill. The light would be right there, Correct? Now imagine every one of you a match in the darkness. What begins to happen to the darkness? It goes. It flees. It ends. It's over. We are called to be the salt of the earth and the light because that truth, the light of truth exposes darkness. So let's get back to Matthew chapter 9 real quick where we were. And this is, this is going to kind of be what I just gave you a little background here. So he says, look. He saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So at this moment, here it comes. 
Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Now, I'm sure the disciples are saying, Jesus, you're doing a great job. Look at all the people you just healed. Look at all the people that just got, are coming to know you and following you. Look at all the things that you just did. This is amazing. We sometimes have a hard time grasping this, but I want you to hear me. Jesus' intentions was not to show up here, do all the work in terms of what's happening here, in terms of representation throughout the world of His goodness and glory, for Him to take care of business while we sit back and just do nothing. No, here's what Jesus' intention was. He stepped down. For three years, He instructed 12 men and many others as well on what it was to be a follower of Jesus. But one of the first things He ever said was, you follow me and I'll make you a what? A fisher? I'm going to make you all about people. I'm going to make you all about people. Because with me and you, you're the salt. Yes, I'm the light, but with me and you, you're the light. So, this is where I have been doing the ministry here. I, uh, that leper got healed in my name. Yes. Um, that, 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 that person over there is being set free. Yes. But now, you guys are going to start operating this way with the Holy Spirit in you, empowering you to do so. And I'm sure he looked at the disciples going, okay, guys, I'm showing you. I'm empowering you. Now you need to see what you've been called to do as believers in Jesus Christ. You need to see what you're going to do here. He says, so he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. By the way, the harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of people ready to know Jesus. Would the news tell you that? Would the media tell you that? Actually, the way they make it sound is Christianity is going to be uh, basically trampled down and be gone within the next several years. But I know that people have been the same in that for 2,000 years, and it just keeps growing. Because God is good. He's alive. Jesus is alive. He's well. Amen? The harvest is plentiful, but here's the problem. The workers are few. So you know what he said to the disciples first? Did he say to them, you ready for this, guys? Did he say, get out there and do it? Is that what he said? That's not what he said first. This is what he said. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What's the first thing he told those disciples and consequently telling us to do regarding the harvest? Ask. Now, here's the crazy part. There's two words in here that I really need to make sure you guys understand because I, I, I dug in a little bit. And, you know, like with many foreign languages, some uh, a, a word in a foreign language may have much broader meaning than English can actually translate into. So let me just share what I'm talking about here. Uh, beginning of verse 38, when it says, ask the Lord. That word ask in Greek is a far, uh, far more intensive word, which actually means beg and plead with passion. Beg and plead with passion. In other words, Lord... These people are dying and going to hell, and they're in darkness. 
I'm praying and pleading that you would send the workers into the harvest. Uh, who's hearing that right now? Do you see the difference? This isn't just, oh, if you feel like it, Jordan, go ask. No, do this. Start asking. Start begging and pleading. Not that he doesn't want to answer, but it comes out of a heart that is for, filled with compassion for people. And who here, at least at one point in your life, has had compassion on somebody? Lord, I want to see them set free. I want to see them out of the darkness. Ask the Lord of the harvest and therefore to send out workers. This is a word that just I, I just heard about and then I started to realize I've been hearing it a little bit more. That word send is another one of those words. Um, when Jesus... And I'm going to give some background to this word real quick. When Jesus, uh, right after he was baptized, he was taken suddenly into the wilderness to experience what? Temptation. Does everyone remember Jesus being tempted for 40 days? Now, here's the thing. Jesus wasn't just deciding, oh, I think I'm going to go and hang out in the wilderness for 40 days. No, basically the Spirit of God took hold of Jesus and put him in the wilderness. You follow me? It'd be like me picking up Alex here. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Picking up Alex and walking him to that back seat and setting him there because he needs to sit there. You say, well, where are you getting at? Well, it's also the same word that when anytime Jesus came up to somebody who had a demon and he said, get out. And what would those demons do? They would shriek and scream as they took off, basically taking off for the hills or the pigs, whatever story you're into. Get out. Go. Leave this person. How many know it wasn't just Jesus going, oh, come on, guys, leave them alone? How many know you don't ask a demon to leave that way? Oh, come on, you're being such a little bother. No. Go in Jesus' name. Leave this person in Jesus' name. And I've seen it enough in my own life that the demons have to respond to the name of Jesus, and they go. They don't like it, but they are forced out in the name of Jesus. Amen? Okay, guess what? It's the same word that we're saying here. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest. Lord, there's a harvest out there, and there are people that you have already called that may be kind of sitting a little stiff, still a little consumed with themselves. So, Lord, I am praying in Jesus' name, and it's not a go get them, God, prayer. It's a, Lord, make them what you've called them to be and send them forth in Jesus' name. That word is ekbalo. Ekbalo means to forcefully move and put them where they've been created to be or been told to be. And see, what's happening here is this. Jesus is saying, look, plead with passion, beg with passion that people will, that, that workers will be taken hold of and put right where they're supposed to be. Let me give you an example. 
How many know the story of Jonah? Now, Jonah's written in, in, in the Hebrew language because it's Old Testament, but I'm pretty certain it was a similar Ekbalo situation. Jonah was called to do what? Go to Nineveh. The cool thing is Jonah heard God. The not-so-cool thing is Jonah said, no. Now, we say Jonah had really had reason. His family had been destroyed by the Ninevites. You know, he was probably pretty angry at him. Didn't want to deal with it. Didn't want to see him set free. But God had already put in his mind and in his heart, you know what? I've called Jonah. And this might fly in the face of some of the theology we've taught in the past, but I really, I've called Jonah, and Jonah's the one I'm sending, in spite of what Jonah thinks. I've heard people say, if you don't obey the Lord, He's going to put somebody else there to take care of it. No, maybe, but I, I wouldn't jump so quickly to that. I believe that the Lord has called you. Who's you? Maybe point to yourself real quick. He's called you to something, and he's, he's desiring your obedience, and it's for your good, His glory, and the growth of the kingdom. Amen? And Jonah decides to run. Oh, these sailors, if they would have had a clue, he said, I serve the Lord. He's the God of the sea. Even before he gets on the boat, he's the God of the sea. I bet those guys thought later, oh, my word, what were we thinking? He gets on that boat, and then the storm begins, and of course, we know the story, and he's thrown out, out off. He's thrown over that boat. He, he makes a determination, throw me out. I know. I'm the reason the storm's going on. <laughs> I've disobeyed, and I've run from God. But isn't it interesting? He's thrown overboard. The storm stops. He either lived or died in a fish for three days. That doesn't really matter because God can do whatever He wants to do. Resurrect you back up? I don't know. But because Jonah approached God with a repentant heart, hey, his calling is irrevocable. Same with every life here. God's calling on your life is irrevocable. And he picked Jonah back up, and how forceful is this? First, a storm gets him into the water, and then he's puked up to get him out of the water. Ekbola. He was sent to Nineveh. <laughs> Amen? And why? Because for all points and purposes, Jonah walks into Nineveh and basically says, hey, get your act together, guys. And 250,000 people went nuts and surrendered to God. I, I think you just missed what I just said. How do we know that Jonah was Ekbola into Nineveh? Because the moment he walked in and just declared, you got to get things right, or this city's, it's over for this city, the whole city responded and repented and surrendered and one of the greatest citywide revivals we've ever seen took place. Are you following what I'm saying? That's why the Lord says, start praying for these people, because if they get into place, people all over the world are going to come to know me. 
Who's hearing this right now? Well, let's just jump ahead real quick. Acts chapter 8. Who knows about one of the, the, the great evangelists we hear? Uh, in, in, uh, Philip. Who's heard of Philip? He was one of the original deacons, along with Stephen, who was martyred. Philip. Philip just loved the Lord. He operated in, 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 he, uh, in love and compassion. And, it, and just basically in Acts chapter 8, it says one day, the Holy Spirit told him um, to basically go over to where, uh, to start walking, head over to this chariot where this Ethiopian uh, chief of finance, and some, and some translations say eunuch, and, and that's fine. Either way, he was high up in Queen Candace's uh, of Ethiopia uh, in, in the queen's courts. He was one of the main guys in there. And he had just come from the temple worshiping, so he had some connection evidently with Judaism. We don't know if he maybe just made his rounds in the religions and tried to make sure all gods were appeased. We don't know if he was truly a Jew or was walking in that, in that faith. All we know is that he had left the temple from worshiping. He's sitting in the chariot, and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah. Well, the Holy Spirit says, Philip, go over, stand by that chariot, and listen. Be ready. Now, Philip, unlike Jonah, and I'm not downtrodden Jonah, Philip went right over, didn't he? And he stood by that chariot. He says he went over to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So, Philip just sticks his head around the corner and says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian, uh, the, the, the chief of finance, and this, and the, uh, this royal chief of finance, says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Who did God ekbola to open this Ethiopian's eyes? Philip. Get going, Philip. I've called you to this. Get going. Sent him out. You go. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage and told him the good news of Jesus. Oh, come on. The good news of Jesus. And here's the crazy part. This fellow was all ears, open heart, because the Lord had put Philip right where he was supposed to be. Amen? As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Someone came to know Jesus that day. Because I think somebody was praying somewhere along the line for an Ethiopian eunuch. Oh, come on. 
How many times have we given up on people that the Lord has had on our hearts for a long time and we have declared they are too hard-headed, they are too hard-hearted, they're never going to listen to me? Well, good, because they're not supposed to listen to you. They're supposed to listen to the Spirit flowing through you who has sent you right where you're supposed to be. How many people would admit we have given up many times on far too many opportunities out of impatience, frustration, or just thinking we can't do this? How many? Yeah, come on. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe every one of those scenarios are irrevocable. Repent and get back before the Lord and say, Lord, you send me there. You put me there. If I'm supposed to be there, you put me there, and you do a mighty Jonah thing. You do a mighty Philip thing. You hearing what I'm saying? (laughs) Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, here it is, guys. The Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. If that's not Ekbola, I don't know what it is. For all we know is Philip was there one moment, and the next moment he's somewhere else. So we're going to find out where somewhere else was in just a second. All I know is the Holy Spirit reached down. Okay, time to go, Philip. You hearing me? When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. And I love this. But he went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40, Philip, however, appeared. Oh, could you just imagine? That would save a lot on air travel for our missionaries if we had more like what we see with Philip, where they just suddenly, one moment they're at mission headquarters in the U.S., the next moment they're in whatever country they're supposed to be in. That would be pretty cool. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. More ekbola. What I'm trying to get at is this, folks. Jesus has made it clear to the church, what is the, where do you start with a missions program? Where do you start with evangelism? Where do you start with discipleship? Where do you start? By asking, begging, pleading with passion that God sends, forcefully <laughs> sends workers into the harvest that is plenty. When was the last time that you, would, you asked the Lord, if not me, Lord, send someone? When was the last time, church? I'm not talking about as individuals. Maybe I am. I'm talking as a church. When was the last time we pled to the Lord? Instead of being angry at what people are doing, we start asking the Lord to send people into that harvest. I don't, I, I, and I, I'm getting a sense right now that several people are hearing this and several are just not connecting. That's Okay. But I'm going to tell you right now, God has called us as a church, not just White Hill. I'm talking as a body of believers. He has called us to begin pleading on behalf of those who are waiting to hear the name of Jesus, waiting to hear the gospel. And I'm going to ask you one more time, and I want you to search your soul and see if this is not who you are. How many here deep down inside are waiting for God to use you mightily? Come on. How many are, and and some of us keep going, oh, 
I just feel like I'm just pointless. No, do what God has called you to. Start listening. Because I'm going to tell you what, you may pray for workers to be ekbolad into the harvest, and guess who might be the first one to go? And it may not even be you. It might be your son or your daughter. It might be a family member. It might be a... But you know what? We are called to be salt and light, even as we pray. Even as we pray. You know, um, Andrew Murray, just a famous preacher from about 100 years ago, he made this statement. I just need you to hear this. He said, the number of missionaries on the field depends entirely on the extent to which we obey this command and pray out the laborers into the harvest. We sit around applauding those who have said yes, not realizing they may have said yes because someone prayed for them to say yes. Amen? Who's hearing today? Who wants to see the world free? Who wants to see darkness eradicated? Who wants to see the name of Jesus lifted high? I don't care if Dave Chappell's ever uttered one more time in the world or your names. I want the name of Jesus uttered everywhere. Amen? And where does that begin? Oh, God, we are praying on behalf of those that don't know you. We are praying on behalf of those that need you. Send out the workers to them in Jesus' name. Amen? That's where we begin. Lord, Lord, do an awesome thing. And I do, I, I, I have to very forcefully emphasize something here today. If you have given up on someone, oh dear, I'm just telling you now, Repent quickly and get back to praying. Repent quickly and get back to praying. Because obviously if you're in the Lord, somebody didn't give up on you. Mark, can I use you an example? Are you okay with me using you as an example? Mark Elder, everybody. Just, there he is. Frankie. Grew up in the church. I wish he was here today, so I guess his ears will just have to burn. Frankie grew up in the church, ground in the church, but chose his own thing. Dove in, and he was a self-proclaimed hard-headed, nutcase, hard-hearted, didn't care. <sighs> I am so glad he had a praying mama. I am so glad that Frankie had a praying mama who prayed Ekbala in that jail he spent for 10 years and that he gave his heart to Jesus. And Jesus turned Frankie around. Who would have known fast-forwarding years later, Mark was laying in a hospital bed almost dead. And Frankie and Dawn were Ekbala <laughs> into your room to do what everybody else thinks is nuts, and that's to pray healing over the impossible. And the impossible is sitting right there, and he knows Jesus today.
Amen? That's what I'm talking about. And I know for many of us, we, we go, oh, I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm, start with great compassion, pleading with the Lord to send the workers out into the harvest. Start there. Do you hear me in the back? Start there. You guys around here, you hear what I'm saying? Start there. Because what's going to happen as you begin to pray that? Compassion is going to overtake who? And before we know it, you know, before we know it, Janie Sinclair may be crawling to China. Right? Or Helen Cash may be just going next door to the neighbor who needs to hear Jesus. Amen? Do you know why we don't see a whole lot of ekbala like we're supposed to? Because people don't like to be told what to do. The Lord walked up to Dave right now. Dave, I want you to lose your job. Lose your job. Leave your job. I want you to leave everything. I want you to pick up your family, and I want you to go to Trinidad, and I want you to share the gospel, and I want it done tomorrow. Now that's pretty heavy. Tomorrow, man. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? So at first it'd be like, I don't know, is that really the Lord? I need to test every spirit. Right? I need to test every spirit. I want to just make sure. Put my fleece out 797 times. Right? Isn't that what we do? And then we ultimately come to a point, we ultimately come to a point where we we are at a crossroads where we're either going to say, no, I'm not going, or yes, I will go. Now, for most of us, we're not going to have that happen to us that way. But every one of us sitting in here in Christ, God has already called you to someone. God has already called you to someone. I mean this so emphatically, I want you to tell the person next to you, God has already called you to someone. Come on, tell them that right now. Don't don't just sit there because you think it's awkward. They need to hear the truth. If you are in Christ, God has already called you to someone. Isn't it funny how quiet a guy? He has called you to someone, and for some many of you, someone's. He has called you. Lord, my prayer today is this, that you, Lord, fill us with such a passion and compassion in the name of Jesus, that you so fill us that, Lord God, we are pleading with you, and we are now, we are pleading with you, send workers into the harvest. There are people that are dying to know you. And I'm just praying right now in the name of Jesus, you send those workers, Lord, Pick them up, open their eyes, and move them to where you want them to be in the name of Jesus. And I'll tag this on, and if be so, let it start with me in Jesus' name. Lord, there are so many that need to know truth. And the church, the body of believers, has been called for such a time as this. Bring us, Father. Draw us. Move in us. 
here we are. You are good and greatly to be praised. Thank you for who you are. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When the Spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord. Now, see, right now, I'm not, I'm not asking you to, to, to make a commitment to go to the mission field. I'm not asking you to go be the greatest evangelist in the world. What I am challenging you to is the command we found in the Word, begin praying. So, if that starts here, and if that's you, I commit to begin praying in love, in compassion, in with passionate begging, pleading to the Lord to send those workers and put them where they're to be. If that's you, we're going to sing this again. I just want you to stand up and declare that with full surrender. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey when your Spirit speaks to me. With my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Just in these last couple seconds, I want you to allow the Lord to lay somebody in your heart right now. Just needs to be free. They're lost. They're caught up in darkness. They are broken. They just need to experience freedom. Just allow the Lord to bring that person to mind. And then what I want you to do right now is thank the Lord for ministering to them, sending that person, even if it's you, sending that person to them right now. All through this place. Come on. All through this place. Just begin thanking the Lord together. All through this place right now. Send them, Lord. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Send them, Lord. In Jesus' name. Send them, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And if it be me, send me. Let's sing one more time. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. And all God's people said, Amen.